As Richie has said, this morning we are continuing in the series entitled Crosstalk that Christoph introduced a couple of weeks ago. With it being the summer, though Christoph takes the, his usual opportunity of asking a, a few of us who are members of the congregation here, but who are ministers or pastors, but who, who serve not in congregations, to, to share with him in, in the preaching. So I'm Mark Welsh, and my, my current role is as the mission development officer for the, for the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. But this morning, as, as we focus on the cross, I don't want you to be focusing on me or even necessarily what I say. We want to be focusing on what God says through that passage that Richie has already read to us. Uh, and so as we do that, let's, or as we seek to do that, let's take a couple of moments in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture that it paints for us of your love, but also of your power, of your sacrifice, and of your desire that we would be like you. Lord, as we seek this morning to hear what it is you have to say to us, as we seek this morning to see more clearly the picture that you've painted of what the cross says about this issue of power, Lord, we pray that you would open our minds that we might fully comprehend it. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts that we might embrace it. But Lord, would you also fully open our lives that we might enact the implications. For it's in Christ's name that we pray it. Amen. For those of you who have not been here the last couple of weeks, either because you're visiting today or you're just back from holiday. The series that we're looking at, as I've said, is entitled Crosstalk, and we have looked already at two aspects of of the cross. Christoph, taking the first two weeks, looked at the foolishness of the cross in, in week one, and then last week looked at the cross and evil. In his introduction, though, in the very first week, Christoph made a point that Whilst we want to look at the cross for those first two weeks, he actually said we want to take the cross and we want to look through it. Not just to look at it, but to look through it. It's very easy if we take a camera to focus in on something. Very easy to to, to twist that lens and, and to really picture something really, really closely, to pick out the fine detail. And really, that's what Christoph did the first two weeks. He focused in primarily on the cross itself. The reality, though, is if you have a good camera, is you can actually unscrew that bit of the front. You can unscrew the lens, and you can put in different types of lenses depending on what it is you're wanting to actually picture. Putting in a lens that that will allow you to, to focus in a certain way, or put in a lens that will color what it is you see. And so having spent two weeks looking at the cross and focusing in at the cross, we're actually, for the rest of the series, going to take that lens out that that allowed us to look at the cross clearly, and we're going to put a lens in that looks something like that one. It's a lens that has a filter in it that is the cross. It's a lens that allows us to look at other issues that we face in the world day by day, through the cross itself. And as we've said this morning in particular, we're looking at what does the cross show us, or how do we look at this issue of power through the lens or through the filter of the cross? But before I look at what the cross has to say about power, though, the reality is, though, that we live in a world where power is, yeah, power's out there. Christoph, in his first week, used a phrase, he used the term worldview, 
he spoke of looking out at the world and, and seeing the world with two options of how we see it. Either we see it as the rest of the world sees it, or, or we see it as God sees it. And before we look at it this morning, at this issue of power through the lens and how God looks at it, we want to look very briefly at how does the world view power? What would that lens look like if it had a, if it had a world-shaped filter in it? <clears throat> Over the last couple of weeks, because I've known I was going to be preparing this, I've, I've taken a few snapshots. Taken a few snapshots of what the world thinks of, or how the world reflects, or how the world captures that term power. Now, recognizing that there are a number of cyclists in this particular congregation, here's the first one. A guy called Chris Froome, two times Tour de France winner. And in this particular Tour de France, we have seen him use amazing power to scoot up mountains, leaving other guys in his wake. We've seen him also use power in some unorthodox techniques in terms of a cycling to race downhill, leaving others in his wake. The power of an amazing athlete. Let's stick with people in cycle helmets. Let me take you to another famous cyclist. our foreign secretary, Boris Johnson. How much we have seen him over these last number of weeks, particularly in the lead-up to the referendum. This very clever clown with his sound bites, with his charismatic personality, using that power that he had in front of the camera, that power that he had with the media to seek to influence a nation to vote a particular way. The power of an athlete that we admire, the power of a politician to persuade us. Then we have others in that same saga over these last couple of weeks. People like Michael Gove, ironically here standing behind a lectern that says, take control. Seeking to usurp the power of others, seeking to take control in order that he might have power over the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. A failed attempt, though, from this pretender to the throne, so to speak. Let's go back to a sporting image. We've also watched the power of the extra man, the supporters of either or of both the Northern Ireland football team, and the supporters of the Irish Republic. Cheering, encouraging, driving their teams forward, providing them with the enthusiasm, the impetus to keep going even when they were pitted against teams that were literally way out of their league. The power of football supporters to unite others. The power of football supporters to draw others in, and many of us will have seen the YouTube clip of a, a French gendarme singing very untunefully, go home for the French police, being caught up in that enthusiasm and, and, and passion that the Irish football supporters had. A power of a crowd to persuade, and almost daily on our news we see pictures coming showing power of a very different sort. Power being wielded in the Middle East, but also in Europe. 
the power wielded by those who support or are part of ISIS. We watched with unbelief, with horror, the scenes in Nice. I trust we watched with equal, if not more, horror the scenes in Baghdad just a few days earlier. I trust we watch with unbelief and equal horror when it's an individual crucified because of his anti-IS stance, crucified in a public place with the crime of being anti-IS written on a notice and hung around his neck. That's the power. Different images of power that we see, some of them good, some of them horrendous. The world and power, that's how we view it if we look at power through the world's lens. Ruthless regimes wielding their power. Driven leaders, whether that's of a a cycle team or a political party. Treacherous friends trying to usurp power. Persuasive crowds influencing what goes on in the pitch and defeated pretenders, those who sought power but have had that power or option of power taken away from them, apparently. Ruthless regimes, driven leaders, treacherous friends, persuasive crowds, defeated pretenders. Those are all snapshots from the last two weeks, but actually they equally describe perfectly the snapshot that we've had read for us just a few minutes ago from Luke 23, verses 1 to 25. Because in that particular scenario, we had a ruthless regime, the Roman Empire. In some ways, Pontius Pilate in this almost comes across okay. But if you look at the history around Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate thought nothing of sending his soldiers in with their swords, with their daggers, to annihilate whole crowds who happened to get in his way. There was nothing nice about Pontius Pilate. Driven leaders, those Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, determined to get their way regardless of the cost. Treacherous friends. Why was Jesus on trial in the first place? Because one of his friends, one of those closest to him, one of those who had spent three years walking alongside him, turned up at the last minute and kissed him on the cheek and turned him over to his enemies. Persuasive crowds, kill him, kill him, kill him. And left hanging on a cross from a world's eye view, a defeated pretender. I notice not hanging around his neck, but a notice nailed to that cross that said, here's your king. Here's the king of the Jews. From the world's eye view, that's not a great story that Richie shared with us. But let's take that lens out. Let's put the other lens back in again, the one that allows us to look through the cross to make a little bit more sense and actually give us hope out of this story. And using exactly the same verses, but with a different lens, what do we learn about power? 
First thing we see is that real power is supernatural. Real power is supernatural. Well, the likes of Chris Froome can do amazing things on a bicycle. It's not actually supernatural. Thankfully, cycling has cleaned itself up as a sport over these last number of years. And, and Team Sky are at real odds to say, look, th- this guy is clean in terms of his cycling. His cycling may be extraordinary, but his ability comes from his genetic disposition, his genetic makeup. It comes from hard training, and it comes from a, a backroom team that seeks to produce what Team Sky calls marginal gains to ensure that he's even just a slight bit ahead of the rest of the other cyclists. But that's not what we see here with Christ. It's not what we see here with the cross. The cross is supernatural. To say that, we actually need to pan out. Instead of focusing in in a fine detail in these verses that Richie read for us, we need to actually pan out a little bit. If we actually go to the next chapter, Luke 24, the end of, uh, the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6, we find that this defeated pretender that, that we left hanging on the cross in this story is actually no longer on the cross. But equally, he's no longer in the grave. The women have gone looking for him. They've gone to embalm the body. And they meet there these supernatural angels asking, why do you look for him among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Go and tell the others. And this is not a natural power. This is a supernatural power. And again, if we pan out further, again looking at what Luke records, Luke tells us that right from the very beginning of Christ's ministry, back in Luke chapter 4 and verse 36, we read there that it was with authority and with power that he, that's Christ, gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. As much as we think as humans that we have power, as much as we can enhance or build up through training or technique our power, the reality is we will never ever have the same power. We will never have real power as it's described in the Bible. How many of us, though, seek or hang on to our titles? How many of us hang on to the education that we have? How many of us hang on to our status or our place in society or or the role or the position that we have in work and say, that's where I get my power from? And we're loath to let that go. And the Bible tells us, actually, that's not real power at all. Real power is supernatural. And and real power is only really evident when you let go of all of those titles and positions and roles and status symbols. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and Christoph alluded to this a couple of weeks ago. He says there, God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He didn't choose those with more degrees than they have letters in their name. He didn't choose the CEOs of the multinational companies and organizations. He chose the weakest of society in order that God's power might be fully displayed. 
Paul himself writes again to the church in Corinth in in his second letter to them, writing about what others have written about himself. And I I love this when I stand here as as a preacher. Paul says, here's what people thought of my preaching, and here's what people thought of me as, as a person. So Paul writes, he says, in person, these people say that I'm unimpressive and my speaking amounts to nothing. Very encouraging words for a preacher. Because it doesn't matter what we look like. And it actually doesn't matter how eloquent, how articulate or not that we are. The power comes not in who we are or what we say, but the power comes through the Word itself. Supernaturally. For those of us, perhaps, though, who do feel weak, for those of us who are Christians, there's a wonderful encouragement. God says to us, see this power that I have, this power that allowed me to create the world, this power that allows me to control nature, this power that allows me to have literally power over life and death itself, this power that allowed me to defeat death, that's the power that I want you to have. And in Acts 1, verse 8, again, Luke, writing in his second book, says or records of Christ saying to his people, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our power, even as humans, does not come from our status, our position how clever we are, or how clever we think we are. Our power only really comes is when we have allowed the Holy Spirit into our lives and are allowing the Holy Spirit to act in us and through us and change us, transforming us. Real power is not genetic. Real power is not gleaned by training. Real power comes when we recognize our weakness and allow the Spirit in. Secondly, real power is humble. Put a camera in front of Boris Johnson, particularly in the run-up to the referendum. There's a man who wasn't short of charisma. There's a man who wasn't short of sound bites. And love him or loathe him, he was certainly in your face making his point made again and again and again. That's how the world sees us demonstrating and using power. In total contrast, Luke 23 and verse 3, Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And whilst the the translation that we have looked at, the NIV this morning, has Jesus saying yes, most of the translations actually omit that word yes. Most of the translations actually have Jesus replying simply, you have said so. Twice in this story, once in front of Pilate and then again in front of Herod, Jesus had the opportunity when the world was watching, when he had earthly powerful figures in front of him, giving him an opportunity to say here's who I am. Here's what I can do. Herod himself saying, I'd love to see this guy. Maybe I'll see some miracles. Christ says, you have said that I'm king of the Jews. In front of Herod, he said nothing at all. A humility 
a silence that comes as a fulfillment of prophecy. 700 years before these events even took place, the prophet Isaiah wrote the following of this man who would be the servant king. As a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. A few verses prior to that, Isaiah also records that here's this man who had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. There was nothing about his charisma. There was nothing about his influence that we would even pay attention to him. But this same man exhibited real power. Not through his words, not through sound bites, not through fancy tricks, but very simply by being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What does that say to us? Again, in Philippians, just a few verses earlier. Your attitude, my attitude, our attitude as followers of Christ should be the same as that of Christ himself. The one who is all-powerful, the one who with a word created this earth, but who didn't utter a word in front of his accusers. In humility, we too must consider ourselves consider others better than ourselves. Real power is humble. Real power is also sacrificial. Normally when we think of power, we think of it in terms of others who are prepared to sacrifice other people in order to fulfill their particular ambition. We saw that happen with Michael Gove in recent weeks. That running mate of Boris Johnson, and then at the last minute decides to stand for Prime Minister himself. When we look at it through the lens of the cross, though, we see sacrifice being very different. It's not about sacrificing others in order that our power might increase, it's about sacrificing ourselves so that others' power might increase. Romans 5 and verse 6, Paul says, at just the right time, when we were powerless, when we had no ability to save ourselves from death and ultimate destruction, Christ died for us. Christ died for us sacrificially in order that we might also share with him power over death and power over sin. Total contrast to the world's view. Power is also releasing. Fallujah was recently retaken from ISIS. As the army, the Iraqi army, and the journalists made their way through Fallujah, they found numerous cells that had been used to hold those who were anti-ISIS. They found torture chambers. Power that trapped people. 
power that held people against their will. And yet in the story, when we look at it through Christ's lens, through the lens of the cross, we see a a similar sort of crowd, a similar crowd mentality taking place. Crucify Christ. Crucify Christ. When they had the opportunity to release him, they said, crucify Christ, but instead release Barabbas, this man who was in charges of murder. The power of Christ, though, releases. The power of the cross releases. I'm not going to dwell on this particularly. Christoph touched on it last week, and it's available on the podcast. Let me just take you to John 8, verse 36. Because we can try to overcome those things that we don't like about ourselves. We can try to overcome those sins in our lives in our own strength, and we get stuffed again and again and again. Because we can't do it. We don't have the strength. We don't have the willpower. We don't have the human determination to be able to do it. We don't have the power to defeat death. But Christ says, if you come to me, I will set you free from all of those things. No need to fear them. No need to be defeated by them. Because in my power, you can do it. Let me release you from those things. Let me give you life in all of its fullness. Real power is driven by love. Again, we, we think of the, the, the events in, in Nice. How someone can get into a truck and drive at 50 miles an hour along a crowded promenade women and children being hurled to one side like skittles. He was driven, but not by love. Driven by hatred, driven by an ideology that saw those who didn't see the same way or think the same way as him as the enemy. People to be destroyed. And yet, in total contrast, when we put the, the, the lens of the cross in, what we see is that real power is driven by love. Because we had a totally different ideology to that of God. We believed at different things about God that, that were in total contrast to what He would want us to believe about Him. In fact, we tried to put ourselves in God's place. And yet we read in John 3 in the first part of verse 16 that God so loved the world even though the world was totally against him that he gave his one and only son. The power to overcome hatred as we've heard this year already, as we've heard over these last weeks, whether it was with the murder of Joe Cox, whether it was the events in Nice, whether it was the events in Baghdad, The power to overcome the evil that is in this world is not through perpetuating more hatred. It can only come through love. I'm not saying that as as some sort of peacenik. I'm saying it because that's, that's what we see when we look at the world and we look at evil through the lens of the cross. As we come to an end, 
The last aspect that I want to draw out of this is that real power is eternal. Real power lasts. All of those pictures that I put up at the beginning, whether it was Chris Froome, whether it's Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, whether it's the supporters for the Northern Ireland football team, whether it is ISIS, they will all fade away. They will have their moment in front of their camera, but then they will be gone. And yet we read that this man who hung up on the cross, who looked like a defeated pretender, we read of him again in Revelation 5 and verse 12, of the angels and the elders gathered around him singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy to do what? To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They go on in the next verse, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power, not just now, but forever and ever. Amen. Real power will last even when those who think they have power seem to think that they have the upper hand and seem to think that they are in control, they're not. And they won't be. Only God has the ultimate power, and it's a power that lasts. In some ways this morning, when we've looked through the lens of power, we've looked at it through, I suppose, two sets of extremes. We've looked at it in terms of the ruthless regimes, the leaders, the friends, treacherous friends as was, the persuasive crowds, the defeated pretenders. We've looked at it from the world's perspective. We've also looked at it through the perspective of the cross, where real power is supernatural, humble, sacrificial, releasing, driven by love and eternal. They stand in marked contrast with one another. Hard to do a compare. It's entirely, it's entirely contrast. I suppose I've got to ask the question, then, which lens do we normally look through? As we look at the world as events, as we look at power struggles, do we tend to look at it through the lens of the newspaper that we read, that we read or the television news that we happen to watch, whether it's BBC, Channel 4, CNN, Al Jazeera? Our perspective, is it driven by those things? And is our understanding of power driven and and molded by those views? Or is it molded by looking at all of those world events through the cross? That's the first challenge this morning. How do we view the world and those power struggles? Which lens do we put in? But let me put up a picture that we put up right at the very beginning, a picture of the camera. Because let's personalize this. Let's have that camera turning around, and instead of focusing on the cross or focusing on events that are taking place out there somewhere, let's have that camera turning around and focusing on us as individuals. As that camera focuses in on us, and it takes snapshots of our weekly or daily routine, What would it capture in terms of our relationship with power? 
What would it capture in terms of how we use or abuse power in our marriages? Do we trap or do we release? How would that camera capture us in terms of our friendships, in terms of our family relationships, brother, sister, parent, child? How would that capture us in the midst of a meeting in the workplace? Which picture of power would it show? Would it show a power that's ruthless? Would it show a power that's driven? A power that's prone to treachery? A power that seeks to persuade others by sound bites? Or do people see in us a power that is actually not of us at all because they see us as weak people but who are powerful because of the Spirit in us? Do they see us as powerful, not because of our charisma, but because of our humility? Do they see power because we seek to be sacrificial and not to be on the gain? Do they see power because we seek to release rather than trap? Do they see power because we are driven by love? Do they see power that is consistent and lasting? Please, God, that it may be so. Amen. We want to continue to reflect on Christ's choices. We've spoken of some of the choices that we need to make and consider in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendship circles, about how we model power. As we continue to reflect in that, we remind ourselves that Christ chose the cross a symbol of weakness, not a symbol of power, a symbol of defeat, not a symbol of victory, in order that he might exhibit real power. We recognize in the words of this song, You Chose the Cross, that he went to death as one who was obedient, as one who was humble, because of his unfailing love.